Welcome back, dear listeners, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod. It's grand final time. And with me to discuss the rematch of the 1954 decided, the D's and the dogs again. I've got Eli Duxon, Fraser Douglas, and Liam Webster McAllister. How are you, gents? It's a pleasure to have you all back on. Mate, absolutely stoked. Got to love grand final day. Probably the best day of the year. Um, Probably even better than Christmas, in my opinion. So hopefully you can be treated to a great game. Good to be here, mate. Thanks for having us. Yep. The uh, the build-up is definitely well and truly upon us. Has been for a couple of days, and uh, we're almost there. Can't wait. Two bloody weeks for two, my dad. That's <laughs> shocking. Shocking. True, 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 true. Now, uh, before we get into the big game, big news out of Carlton, Michael Boss will now officially be their 35th head coach, I think it was. Interesting little stat. Um, I remember when Craig McRae was hired as the coach of Collingwood. I think he's their 16th head coach or 17th head coach, and yet Carlton's been in this competition the same length of time as Collingwood has, and yet they're on their 35th head coach. Anyway, interesting little stat. What do you guys think? Michael Voss, was he uh, was he the right choice? Should they have gone with uh, with fresh blood and Adam Kingsley, or do you think it's, it was a good idea going with someone with a little bit more experience? I'll, uh, all right, I've got to pick someone to go first. Uh, Fraser, I'll let you go first. Um, for me, I mean, the, the, obviously Adam Kingsley was the other one that you just mentioned there. And I kind of like the fact that they went with a Voss. They were, it seemed like they were ultimately waiting on Clarkson, which is fair enough at the end of the day. I mean, you'd be silly not to. And the whole Ross line debacle that, didn't really go very well. I'm pretty sure they would have probably picked him over Voss, but they've ended up with him. And um, I think they there's still, I think if you're a Carlton supporter, you're not, you're not disappointed. You're not flat with the decision. I mean, obviously Voss had his run at um, the Lions and that didn't end um, spectacularly, but then um, he's put in a good stint at Port Adelaide. So I think if I was a Carlton supporter and I've got a few, um, Carlton uh, supporting friends in my life that they're, they're not I wouldn't say they're ecstatic about it but at the same time they're they're on they're on board and they're they're upbeat about it which is probably more than they've been for most of the last couple couple of years so uh, at least at least some sort of positivity out of the decision so um, I think it's probably with what they had the options left to them I think they probably made the right call but I mean only time will tell that's how these things work. Yep, fair enough. How about you, Liam? Yeah, um, I think Voss isn't a bad appointment, obviously. He's uh, got experience in the role and, you know, like Fraser already said, from the, the options that were left, it wasn't necessarily a bad pickup. Um, whether or not Collingwood had any, anything to do in that, I'm not sure. Obviously, there was rumours over the last couple of weeks that Collingwood had involvement in helping Carlton find a coach, which... Definitely gave me a good chuckle over the course of uh, lockdown um, and definitely made sure my Carlton friends knew about that. Um, but obviously, Carlton have ambitions of making the finals and have done now for at least this year, just gone, but also maybe the last year or so prior to that. Um, and I think for Voss, if he can just get the belief going in that in that squad, and they've got so many good players in there who the majority of which are very capable of playing finals footy, the majority of whom haven't, um, so I think that, you know, I think Voss's first mission is just going to be getting the belief going because I think once you get that going, 
Um, the players have more than enough ability to be playing finals. So we'll see how he goes. But um, he's not a bad uh, pickup in my in my uh, opinion. Eli? Yeah, I've seen mixed reactions too. And um, I personally like it. Um, his record at Brisbane is probably a little bit unflattering. But you've got to remember, he was only 33 when he got appointed there. Um, and 34 when the season started. And in that first year, they made finals, won the first final against Carlton. Um, had a few bad years. And 2013, they're only a game in percentage out of the finals. It was well when he got sacked, with probably around 14, 15-ish. Um, but the club was a shambles at that point. Um, there was no support from the board. Um, that was a year of the go-home five. Um, it was just, yeah, pretty pretty ordinary time for the Lions. Um, but since then, like, like our chat with McCray last time I was on with um, with Fraser as well. He's got experience now. Um, he accused himself at the time of micromanaging a little bit, but now he's got a better grasp of managing players and coaches um, with his time at Port Adelaide, as Fraser alluded to. So um, he was a Carlton fan as a kid, passionate, presents and speaks well, obviously. Um, and I think if he can't get the most out of those players, then it's a lost cause. Um, I think T was... Um, criticised of being probably too friendly and too nice, whether that's just the front that he presented. Um, it's, it's hard to tell without being within those four walls. But, um, yeah, I think Voss will have certainly some high expectations. He'll build that belief like Liam was talking about. Um, but, yeah, I think he'll demand excellence out of those players because they are capable. They don't have, don't have a bad list. They've got some good players there. Um, I think it's going to turn Sam Walsh, um, if it's possible for him to get better, it, like it's just going to be un- unbelievable thing for him um but now the difference with Voss and Teague is um there's going to be new assistant coaches around him Teague didn't have that opportunity to bring in um some of his guys to work with him because at the end of the day head coaches aren't head strategists um that's why they've got line coaches they've got assistant coaches um he yeah it's not all reliant on him but with his time at Port Adelaide I think it's a very good appointment I'll ask um you guys all this, starting with Eli, then working back. Uh, Carlton come out and said they expect to play finals football in 2022. Voss was asked um, whether or not he thinks that he'll be judged on whether or not they make finals next year. And he said, yeah, probably. So I want to ask you guys, what, in your opinion, does Michael Voss need to do in order for his first year at Carlton to be seen as a success? Does he have to make finals? Look, it's, it's, it's a pretty poor thing, I think, for a new president to come in and, and say that in a press conference. You can probably give those expectations internally, but to, to voice them like that, it's probably not the best best thing to do for, for fans because then because that would just like, okay, here we go again, more expectations just to get let down again, um, which I, I hope is not the case. I think they do have the potential. So I think at least challenging for the eight um, would be the best thing for him to get a bit of a tick doesn't have to be a, a top six finish, but if you can be around the mark and possibly sneak in, um, you've seen the depth with the competition this year it went, went pretty deep. So um, it will be a challenge, but yeah, I think just to be around the mark and make sure that their best and their worst is a lot, uh, that, that gap is a lot shorter because they were deplorable times this year and they also looked fantastic. So um, I think just playing consistent footy and being around the mark would be enough. Yeah, how about you, Liam? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Eli said. I think that's one of the big things with Carlton this year is they were just so inconsistent. One week they'd look like a team who could get top five, top six, and then the next week you'd think that they were bottom of the ladder. So 
that's one of their biggest issues, I think. And I think that's probably something that Voss will be really working on when he comes in, trying to get a level of consistency amongst a lot of the players. You know, there's players who will be very good most weeks, like, you know, your Walshers and such. But there's probably players in the team that a lot of my Carlton friends think have great ability, but it's about getting them to play at that level, not three or four times a year. It's about getting them to play that 15, 16 times a year at least. Um, I think in terms of it being a successful season, I think it does have to be finals. I think he doesn't necessarily need to make finals to, to keep his job. I think, you know, challenging for finals or making top 10 or so would probably be enough for him to keep his job. But I think if he wants, you know, the approval of the fans and the board to be happy with what he's achieved, I think he probably does need to make finals. But as Eli said, I think as, as long as he at least challenges, I think he'll be enough to probably keep him in the job. Fraser? For me, um, they won. They won eight games this year, and I think they won ten games last year. So they were. I mean, there's definitely more talent on the list now, and we've all seen that through free agency and obviously the draft. In the case of players like Sam Walsh, but at the same time, um, I think the board and obviously the supporters feared that they were going to end up going backwards, and the inconsistency this year was was hard to stomach and that's from that's from me and I'm not even a Carlton supporter. So you just kind of feel like they're wasting, they were wasting a lot of what they had. I feel like in terms of a successful season, I mean, this year we had obviously had that run to the run for the top eight. Those, there was a lot of sides vying for that, um, for that last spot in the eight. And um, I feel like if they, they need to be in that bunch, I feel like they can be, I think, I don't think there's any reason with the, I'm not as big. I'm not as big on the on the Carlton list as as some people are, but I feel like a lot of that comes down to their midfield. Um, obviously, the the ruck um, position is a bit of a concern for mine. They're kind of getting better there. They've obviously got the young DeConny kid. Um, he's got some talent, and then they've got their midfield, which obviously they had Cripps, who was looking like a Brownlow medalist a couple of years ago, and he's kind of. Um, whether it be it probably due to having to carry too much of a load has kind of gone down a peg or two and Walsh has kind of taken that mantle as the um, the clear number one in that midfield. Hopefully Cripps can get back up to that um, that top level there. Um, looks like they're going to bring in George Hill from the Swans, which will I think will be, um, um, I mean, he's no he's no um, A grader, but he'll give them some good depth and hopefully their youth will continue to develop. Um, I mean, it's not easy for... Um, young kids to consistently develop in the right direction when you've got coaches coming in and out and all this uncertainty. So hopefully um, it's almost on the players themselves to um, continue that trend and make the, make that ground that they need to when they've got so much going on around them. And that's definitely going to be hard for them. And I mean, I hope that um, Voss gets them in going in the right direction. And I think he can, but it's going to be, um, it's going to be interesting. I feel like they should be in that pack. We've obviously got those. I feel like they should be in that group with like a, a West Coast. We had the discussion about um, Carlton versus St Kilda really early in the season and they um, both were very inconsistent to probably the more inconsistent sides in the in the competition. I feel like it's going to be a really interesting year for both St Kilda and Carlton in terms of whether one jumps into front of the other, whether they both stay in that kind of inconsistent mould. But um two teams definitely to watch next year for mine. And um, with, with Carlton's talent, I think they should definitely, that's a bit of a barometer for mine. If they can leapfrog St Kilda and those sides like a, like a West coast, I feel like they'll put themselves in a good position and hopefully a good start for, for Voss's uh, senior coach. 
Yeah, I agree with pretty much all you said, um, guys. I think unfairly on Michael Voss, his first season, I do agree with what he said. Whether he wants it to or not, it will depend on whether or not they make finals football. I don't think that's fair. I think a more realistic expectation is challenging for finals football, um, bare minimum, challenging for finals football and playing consistent good footy. And don't let, it's kind of the same problem that Essendon had this year where we'd fall asleep for 20 minutes and in that time, oppositions would kick four, five, six, seven, sometimes eight goals in a row and the game would be lost. Um, That happened far too frequently for Carlson. Additionally, outside of um, Paddy Cripps and uh, Sam Walsh and maybe a couple of other players, they are, I don't know if this is too harsh to say, they are as soft as tissue paper when it comes to tackling. I reckon I, when I was 12 years old, was more of a tackling machine than most of their players. And that has to change. And I think it is going to change because, you know, Michael Voss, one of the toughest players, one of the hardest players in the 21st century, if not of all times, like you would not want to be tackled by him. You're not one of you want to be, we wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be bumped by him. You know, ask Alan Richardson how that feels. So, yeah, I think he'll bring a bit of toughness to to Carlton. I said that's exactly what they need. Now, away from Carlton, because they're not playing in the grand final. Sorry, Carlton fans. On to the big one. Demons going for their first flag in 57 years, while the Dogs, it took them 62 years in between flag one and flag two. It could only be five years between flag two and flag number three. It should be an awesome grand final. Basically, we're going to go through each team, Melbourne, and then on to the dogs, what they need to do in order to win. Let's start off with the Ds because they are the designated home team. I'll start with uh, with you, Eli. What do the Demons need to do in order to uh, break that premiership drought? I think they just need to do what they do normally, um, and the result should, should take care of itself. Um, I think so far this final series... Um, even though they've only played um, the two games, I still think they look like the team to beat. At their best, I, I can't see anyone beating them, but I think the Dogs will still challenge them. Um, but in games they've lost, um, the midfield battle hasn't been as dominant as they would like. They might have dominated the hitouts, but lost clearances um, or uh, lost the hitouts. Like that game against GWS, Mumford um, did a really good job that day. But um, if they can win or at least even the midfield battle, um, I, I can't see anywhere. Um, else on the ground where the dogs could really, really destroy them. But um, their number around the ground is the big key. I think they're hard to beat when they're playing like that, when um, Lever uh, and May are able to get up at sort of second, third man up. And even when Gorn and Jackson are in the ruck, um, they get back and help out really well when, um, when it's a bit of slow play going on. So um, I just think they just need to keep on keeping on. And um, I think it's up to the dogs to beat them. Fraser? I mean, I, f- I agree completely with what Eli said as far as if I feel like if the Ds play their game to the best of their ability, they will probably win this game. If they play anywhere near the level they played last weekend, I mean, it wasn't last weekend, it feels like it was, against um, Geelong. I mean, I don't think anyone in the in the competition could beat that, um, that kind of performance. Um, that was... Uh, 
was it was brilliant to watch. I mean, for the for Melbourne, as far as what they need to do well, they love to control the game, and so do the Dogs to an extent. We often see the Dogs; they love to use every square inch of the ground, and I'm sure they'll do that at Optus. It's a big ground, and it will probably suit them as much as it suits Melbourne. Both, um, although the Dogs play a lot more in Marvel Stadium, I feel like they almost appreciate the the big ground. So it'll be interesting to um, see which team. Um, goes wide and uses the spaces and I'm expecting Melbourne to um, go hard and fast and hopefully um, um, for, the, for their sake um, try and expose the dogs to speed not that the dogs are a slow team but Melbourne is so quick on the counter-attack they love to um, they love to control the game generate scores from uh, the contest I think um, they scored a they scored 101 points from clearance against the Geelong which is I think I think I read the fourth most ever in the history of the game. So that kind of shows you the dominance of that game. And they probably could have won that game by more. <laughs> Not that Geelong were very good, to be honest, but um, they were outstanding. Um, from, I mean, it's probably it's probably the two best teams of all, all year that have ended up in the grand final, which is a which is a great thing for the for the game and for the fans. Even if you're not a, a Melbourne or a Bulldog supporter, um, so most most probably. They're the most prolific team from centre bounce clearance. Um, they outscore opponents by 6.3 points a game, which is a lot more than anyone else. Um, so we think of we think obviously think of the dogs. They bat so deep in the midfield, but um, I kind of feel like, especially with the the Max Gorn versus um, Stefan Mann, Tim English kind of battle, it's more on the dogs to try and equalise and even that midfield battle. Because especially when you've got players like well, man, if Gorn bobs up and kicks five again, I'll good luck to the dogs. But um, they've got players like Petraka who can who can kick three goals um, and have twenty five touches, and that's that that kills you. And especially when that's a midfielder, and you, that's you having to worry about a midfielder kicking the, that kind of score. And then you've got Melbourne's forward line, which is no no slouch. So in terms of Melbourne, um, it's um, as long as they as long as they do their their thing well and they um control the game in terms of um center bounce scores and clearance scores um i feel like the dogs are really going to struggle especially when you come up against the best uh the best truckman in the game Liam? yeah i agree with a lot of what uh, fraser and eli have said i think earlier in the year when these two played obviously the bulldogs won by 20 points but gorn had four times more hitouts. he had i think 67 to 18 but the Bulldogs, as we have already seen throughout the finals, namely when they played against Brisbane in the elimination final, you know, they got dominated in the hitouts there, but they roved really well to the opposition Ruckman. And I think that's something that which the Bulldogs are already going to be of, have been planning for against Melbourne because they know that Gorn's going to win the hitouts. They know that he's going to dominate that side of the game. It's going to be about which midfield can get the clearances off of his hitouts. So I think that Melbourne need to really use their explosive midfield, you know, Clayton Oliver and Petrarca are probably as explosive a midfield and as strong as a midfield you're going to get. They need to not just win the clearances, but if those two can get forward, and like Fraser said, um, Petrarca can kick multiple goals. Gorn himself can get on the score sheet as well. So I think um, actually winning the clearances and um, trying to use the explosive midfield is probably where Melbourne can win the game. For me, I think for Melbourne, it's very simple using bits and pieces of what you all said. Uh, Max Gorn, that quarter, that third term against Geelong was probably the best individual quarter that I ever remember 
watching. Just absolutely unbelievable. He was kicking them from anywhere. He probably could have kicked them from Texas. That's how incredible he was. Um, whilst the dogs ruck are very good, Martin's a great player. English has really come into his own this year. There's no ruck in the competition that can match Max Scorn. And so I was just reading a um uh, uh, a review on a previous, excuse me, on the AFL website that said that Melbourne has to utilize Max. And I fully agree. Maximum power. That right, they should write that on the whiteboard beforehand. Max Scorn, maximum power, right? Essendon. And I don't mean to bring Essendon up as an Essendon supporter, but at the same time, I kind of do. Round 21, you mentioned the explosive midfielders, Liam. Jake Stringer tore the dogs apart. And that's because Draper tore English apart. And so Martin is going to have to play out of his skin. But if Melbourne can get first use of the ruck every single time, they're going to be borderline impossible to stop. Watching the... Highlights from round 11, which is when they first played this year, when the Demons won at Marvel Stadium. One thing that kind of came to mind was how frequently the Demons caused forward half turnovers. The dogs, who are normally slick coming out of defense, just constantly turning it over, constantly turning it over, constantly turning it over. And it speaks to the full ground pressure, the whole ground, full ground press that Melbourne does because we normally you know, talk about how great Lever and May are at intercepting, but their forwards are great at putting ground pressure as well. So if they bring that, then I wish the dogs defense all the best because it's going to be very difficult to deal with, but let's get on to the dogs and Liam, I'll let you start off with this one. What do the bullies need to do to win their second in five years and their third ever and their second against Melbourne? Well, I mean, you mentioned, obviously, the forward pressure of Melbourne, and that's going to be very hard to overcome. Um, but I think a big player in kind of beating through that press will probably be Caleb Daniel. I think his efficiency with the ball, obviously he'll have the odd straight kick, but he can just pick someone out amongst like five or six other players. So I think in terms of that end of the field, if he can be firing on all cylinders and hitting his targets, he'll be a, an integral part of um, the Bulldogs' movement from defence into the midfield. Um, but I think kind of similar to when they played the uh, the D's earlier this year, I think efficiency is a big thing as well. Um, they had the same amount of scoring shots, but they had they won by 20 points. So obviously <laughs> nobody wants to watch a grand final where everyone's missing, but if one team is missing their chances, um, that opens the door for another team. And earlier this year, the Bulldogs were just more efficient. They had 9% more disposal efficiency. They were more accurate in front of goal. Um, and like I said earlier, I think they're really good at minimising um, their weaknesses, which will probably be uh, the ruck situation because Gorn's going to dominate the ruck. I don't think anyone's um, <laughs> going to argue that. So that, that's one thing that, you know, we can all say what to Melbourne need to do. And it's like, you know, Gorn needs to play well, but we know Gorn's going to play well. I think that, that's not a question. It's about who can actually work around Gorn best because we've got probably the two best midfields in the game going at it. It's going to be just a case of which midfield can actually work, work around him best because the Bulldogs know how to actually rove to an opposition Ruckman as good as any team in the competition. They did it so well against Brisbane that Melbourne are probably going to have their work cut out, even though their Ruckman is going to be winning the majority of the hitouts. 
Um, so I think for the Bulldogs, it's just about kind of continuing what they did against Brisbane um, and then trying to be efficient with the ball, both in defence into the midfield, but then also when they get inside forward 50. Um, well, we kind of touched on it before, but the battle of the the battle of the midfields. I mean, when you've got a midfield like Melbourne, but you've also for the dogs, they've also got your McCrae's, your Bond and Pelly's, your Liberatore's, your Dunkley's. I mean, that's no slash of a midfield, and um, a lot of those players have already won a flag, and that's a good reason why. Um, some stats that I've noticed um, from the finals. Um, from the average 25 disposals a game more than their opposition, um, which is a huge number compared to other teams in the competition. That's just a, a total smashing. And Melbourne's um, maybe not as good for the dogs. Melbourne's one of the only teams that's kind of in that ballpark. So that'll be a really interesting battle. Um, what occurs there is terms of in September, um, contested possessions. Um, they usually win that um, by an average of 21, which is like, Usually like 10 more contested possessions is a smashing. 21 is um, at like historic levels. And um, it's it's good to see because when they when the dogs were sliding at the end of the home and away, that stat was right down. They were they were getting beaten in that area. And we kind of saw it turn against Port in the last round of the home and away, although they didn't win that game. They kind of found some of their mojo and um They've been able to carry that on. One thing I would add to the conversation, if the dogs are going to win, and I kind of brought this up when we spoke about um, the Melbourne and Brisbane game a couple of weeks back, um, I feel like you've got to send someone to um, Jake Lever. And it looks like the dogs kind of have someone for that role in Josh Yackey. And, I mean, it is Josh Yackey, so wouldn't I'm not getting my hopes up too high yet. But if he can do a similar role to what he did on Alir, which was uh, really impressive and also um, hit the scoreboard. Um, that will go a long way to helping the dogs um, get the result here. So it's a, I mean, it's, I wasn't expecting to say this a few weeks ago, even, even a few days ago, but I feel like Josh Jackie could, um, could really play a big role in this grand final. Eloy? Yeah, the problem I'm seeing with the making a case for the Dogs winning is them being able to kick a score to win the game. Um, and without Josh Bruce, and that's I mean probably the only reason Josh Jackie's in the team yourself, but without Josh Bruce, it makes it a little bit tougher without that genuine key forward who does seem like a threat, um, albeit almost 20% of his goals came against North Melbourne this season, possibly more if they played him the second time. But... Um, yeah, they just need to use their speed and keep speed on the play. Um, they're obviously not going to be able to do it all the time, but I'll, I'll go back to the, the Brisbane game as well against Melbourne. We looked, it was just impossible to penetrate them when they were able to set up behind the play. Um, but when, yeah, you had handball receives, players running from behind, um, long kicks to space. Um, don't let them get, like, you switch hard. Don't let them get, get behind where the ball is going. You have a really good chance of penetrating that 70, 80 metre mark and then penetrating the 50 as well. Um, I think being accountable in the midfield as well, you, you boys were talking about Petraki hitting the scoreboard. When him and the other midfielder slip forward, um, they just look so dangerous in their own inside 50, in their own forward 50, because um, you got little you got little stoppages and then handball, handball, they've got two or three players free somehow and you're like, how did that happen? 
a wing a wing pushes down or whatever it might be. Um, but being accountable there, but also ensuring May and Lever are being accounted for. Um, so if Shaki can go with a lever um, or with both of them, keep them accountable in the air, but then also try and be dangerous enough. So when it hits the ground um, or when you are far from the contest, they're not as confident to just go and spoil Mark and affect the contest that way. You've got to make sure that they're second guessing themselves um, in doing that. But the biggest matchup is still the rock battle. Um, Steph Martin was, you can just see how much better that dog's outfit is with him in there. Um, and I think if he's able to go, him and English, if they're able to go with Gorn and Jackson in the ruck and around the ground, um, that's going to go a long way to them being able to hit, get inside forward 50. Um, and if they can keep it there, they'll be able to create pressure there. And um, yeah, when, when it's not an aerial battle, they're going to be pretty well adjusted there uh, with the locks of Cody Whiteman running around and being a pest. Um, so yeah, the, I think they just need to obviously play out of their skins as well, but um, yeah, they need to be accountable all parts of the ground, but just take it on, have a crack. Um, like you, like Fraser was saying, it's a big ground. Use the space, use your speed. Um, they're, they're very good by by foot and the, and hand. And obviously, their handballs are fantastic. Um, it was a trademark of the game in 2016, but um, yeah, they just need to take it on, have a crack, and um, if they can do that, it's going to go a long way to them winning. Using bits and pieces again of what you've all said, I'll start off with um with the fact that in round 19 when they played, it's interesting, Lee Montagna pointed this out. In terms of keeping Lever and May accountable, I think it was Shaki that night as well. It was really interesting watching the behind-the-scenes footage. It was almost like a merry-go-round of, of forwards trying to – it was almost like a chess game, you know, with, with Lever and May trying to get the positioning on the place they wanted to play on. And the dogs obviously trying to prevent that from happening. And eventually it was almost like the Melbourne defenders were like, okay, this is ridiculous. Fine. We'll, we'll, whatever. Right. We'll just go with the matchups that we currently have. And what that left was the lever. Normally the guy coming across the front of the pack or from the side of the pack, taking those big intercept marks, all of a sudden going one-on-one with Norton or one-on-one with English when English loaded it down. That didn't work out so well. One-on-one may is significantly better. So if the dogs can do that again, it will be fascinating to see. It will be fascinating to see. And if it happens early, if we see when the dogs go into the forward line, Norton against Lever, just psychologically, I just wonder what that will do to the Melbourne coaches box. You know, they'll it'll put them into a bit of a panic. Right, we've got to try something new. We've got to try something new. And I can't quite recall who said this, but someone as someone pointed out, you do not want to do something new on grand final day. You want to stick to what you know, because what you know have gotten you this far. 2015, the grand final, Nat Nui at the time, best ruckman in the competition. The Hawks knew that they weren't going to win the rock contest. They weren't going to win the rocket outs. Like McAvoy is a great player, but he's, he wasn't at the same level as Nat Newey was. So they plan on roving to Nat Newey's tips uh, and, uh, and hit outs and whatnot. And sure enough, the Eagles dominated the rock hit outs numbers. 
but the Hawks crush them in the clearances. So I reckon if the dogs can do the same, as you pointed out, Liam, as if, if the dogs can practice roving to Gorn's hitouts, I reckon that might throw the demons off a little bit because we talked earlier about the demons having Petrarca and all of us, so explosive. But I think we're forgetting that the dogs have Bonten Pally, quite possibly the most explosive player in the competition. So this game will be won and lost in the middle, like a game of chess, you know? I, I would use a chess metaphor, but I've never played chess. So I don't, I, I don't know what metaphors to use. But let's get on to the individual awards. Uh, let's start off with, well, they don't award first goal kicker any awards, but let's go first goal kicker. Who's going to kick the first goal on the decider? Fraser, I'll let you start off. Who's going to kick it? It's a tough one. Uh, if, I was a, uh, if I was a betting man, and I unfortunately kind of am, um, it's a tough one, the first goal scorer in the in the granny. I don't, I don't know that I've ever picked it, and I don't know that I've really ever picked a first goal scorer in any game. But if I had to pick one, um, I'm looking. I'm going to be looking out wide, and I'd probably go with someone like a – for me, I feel like Melbourne will start this game very hot, and then it'll be whether the Dogs – and I give them a good chance of, 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 of steadying. I mean, the Dogs are a good, good side. I mean – I've spoken a lot about Melbourne and how how damaging they can be, but um, the dogs are here for a reason, um, and I think they'll be able to to be able to um, regain composure. But in, as far as first goal scorer goes, I've really liked the final series of Melbourne's small forwards. Be that um, Cosie Piggott, who gets a lot of um, a lot of recognition, but um, I don't mind the chances of um, Charlie Spargo to bob up and kick the first. I feel like he's um, Played a really good final series. Great pressure player. Um, uh, tackles really well. We were speaking about the importance of tackling in the case of in the case of Carlton, who are I think I think they're a bottom four side in tackling. Melbourne are right up there, um, especially inside fifties. I wouldn't be I, I don't know the exact stat off the top of my head, but I would be surprised if Melbourne isn't number one for tackles inside fifty. So, um, how about? Um, Charlie Sparga to nail someone inside 50 and convert from 25 out straight in front and kick the game off. Love it. Absolutely love it. Eli, how about yourself? A similar train of thought to Fraser, but I'm going to go Alex Neil Bullen. Um, I think he's a bit of a, uh, yeah, yeah. He's he's a, doesn't get a lot of recognition, but he's in there, plays his role. He's another one that applies that pressure inside 50, but I think he's going to get rewarded with the first goal. Don't know how it's going to come. I haven't thought about as much as Fraser, but um, yeah, I've got him kicking first one for mine. Yep, love it. How about you, Liam? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a step in the dark, obviously. No one can really be absolutely sure, but um, I agree with what, uh, you know, Eli and Fraser have said. I think it'll be a small forward, but I'm going to go with the pest himself. I think Cody Waitman's going to, pick up the crumbs from a, a big contest with uh, Lever and May and Norton and English all going there and he'll be coming around and just picking up the crumbs and we know how he loves to just uh, maybe get a high tackle and convert. He's very accurate. So if you give him any sniff, he'll 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 put it away. Don't worry about that. Jeez, yeah, won't he be will... excited about that too? Right, he would absolutely look, <laughs> right? I, I, one stat we didn't mention was um, how much the dogs won the free kick count the last time they played around 19. But anyways... Um, and Matt Stevick umpiring again. Yeah, so. Matt Stevick umpiring oh, don't, again. Don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. <laughs> um, I reckon it'll be... I'm torn between either Aaron Norton or Ben Brown 
but whichever one it is will be a big pat mark. Think of like Jack Rewalt in the 2017 grand final splitting the pack early in the game. But unlike Jack on that day, whoever it will be, Ben Brown or Aaron Norton, will convert. Oh, that's boring. I should actually. I'm not going to sit on the fence. I'm going to pick a name. I'm going to say Ben Brown. What a fairy tale to go from the one of the worst teams in the competition to a year later kicking the first goal in a grand final. Incredible. Absolutely insane. Now, before we go, I want to ask you a couple of questions, opinions about, uh, oh, we haven't touched on a Norm Smith. Right. Before we get to the discussing whether or not the game next year should be at night, we'll come back to that one. Norm Smith medal, Eli, who do you reckon is going to win it? Um, yeah, I'm going to go Ed Langdon. Um, I think Melbourne's outside run might be. Oh. Um, I mean, obviously Petraka and, and Oliver might be just. It was it was too too easy a pick for mine, which I, I genuinely do think they will. Either those two will win it if Melbourne gets up. Um, but I've got the D's winning, and I think Langdon's run on the outside will look good. And I think, and I'm hoping the panel um, sees that it does look good, and he gets noticed a lot with some cheap uncontested possessions, but some nice run. Um, so not exactly the most damaging in terms of what he does with the ball, even though he will be. Um, I think he's going to look flashy in there at the outside run, um, and hopefully the long sleeves. No, I'm, I'm really hoping he keeps those going. Um, but yeah, I'm sure Petraka Oliver will get it. <laughs> Interesting, interesting. How about you, Liam? Yeah, I mean, everyone likes to try to pick a, a bit of an outside pick for the Norm Smith. Um, and, you know, a lot of the reoccurring names would be, you know, Petrarca, Oliver, um, Bailey Smith. Um, and I, I, there was a couple of names I was trying to think because obviously I want the Bulldogs to win and I've, I'm backing them to win. Um, and I was leaning towards maybe a Trelaw or Norton because I think they could definitely be important. But I think McRae is just such a ball magnet that there's a good chance he could rack up 35, 40 touches. And if he's racking up that kind of possessions, there's a good chance that at least 50, 60, 70% of those will be quite useful. So I think if if he can have his usual impact um, and the Bulldogs can manage to win, I think he has a, a real good chance to get uh, the Norm Smith for me. Fraser? I'm going to go a bit boring here. Um, I, I do appreciate going out wide like Eli. Um, Langdon, that's that's a nice pick. But for me, um, we've seen how um, obviously Dustin Martin um, has three of them. And that's because, I mean, amazing player, but he can hit the scoreboard and at the same time get a lot of the footy. So that ability to win the ball and bag a couple of majors is vital. Although... Um, Petraka probably won't win as much footy as someone like an Oliver or a McRae, as, um, as Liam just pointed out. Um, his ability to kick to, to kick multiple goals from 25-plus um, disposals puts him in the box seat for mine. Um, he's close to automatic for 25 disposals per game, and he's, I think he's kicked two goals in a third of his games this year. So um, I, I'll give him a really good chance of winning this. And if... Um, if Melbourne are to win, I think Petraka will probably kick a goal or two and it'll be hard not to give him the award if I was on the panel. Interesting choices, gents. I'm going to go with Max Gorn. In the 1950s and 1960s, Melbourne were led on an era of dominance by their inspirational captain, Ron Dale Barassi. But instead, well, not instead, similarly, about 60 years later, they'll be led to premiership glory once again. 
by the inspirational captain Max Gorn. He'll kick three goals. He'll dominate the ruck contest. He'll take big pack marks, whether down in defence or in the forward line. He'll lay big tackles like he did against Geelong. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. And thank you, Eli, for reminding me. Uh, let's touch on every single great grand final. And even some of the boring grand finals has a great individual moment. Think of the last decade, right? You think Nick Malczewski kicking that goal in 2012 or in 2013, the amazing goal from Isaac Smith from like 60 meters out. 2014, you had Will Langford kicking the goal from the boundary line. And who can forget Luke Hodge in 2015? And of course, Brian Taylor, the best moment in the 2016 grand final, dropping the uh, the old swear word on radio while uh, Tom Boyd kicked that goal from 60 meters out. I want to ask you guys, which moment is going to make some commentator somewhere in the country drop an F-bomb on radio? Which moment? Will it be a big pack mark like Leo Barry in 2005 or Brendan Goddard in 2010? Or will it be a clutch goal with a couple of minutes to go? Like, well, I'm sure you are well aware, Liam, which game I was going to make a reference to. Don't worry, I'm not going to complete it. Uh <laughs> Liam, I'll let you start off with this one. Who's will it be? Big pack mark, big tackle, big smother. What is it going to be, and who's going to do it? Well, I mean, we've we've spoken about the ex- explosive players in this game: your Petrarcas, your Olivers, your Bontempellis. But we haven't given much attention to the man who's been lighting up the finals so far. I think Bailey Smith has just been getting better and better as the final series have been going on. And I think he's got that ability to lay a, a big tackle and then convert it from the boundary line. But he's also got the ability to just absolutely take off. You know, he could pick the ball up 70 out and just take two, three bounces, run 30 metres, leave a couple of guys on their ass and then smash it in. So I think there'll, there'll, be, there'll have to be one or two moments in this game where he just does something outrageous. So, you know, I think, we, you know, there's a good chance it could be a Petrarca or someone in that Melbourne forward line who, you know, lays a great tackle, for instance. But I think... Bailey Smith can do it all. So I think there's a good chance he'll do something, which will be the big moment. Eli, what are you thinking? Obviously, we'd love to see a clutch uh, moment of any, any sort of goal, tackle, mark, whatever it is. But I've got um, earlier in the game, I think maybe first quarter, first 10 minutes perhaps, I see Jack Viney laying a massive crunching tackle or putting someone on their ass and not by running past them, that's for sure. So, um I think he's a bit of an unsung hero for Melbourne because he has taken a backseat since Oliver and Petraka have developed into the players they are. So I think he's going to come out with some aggression and set the tone early, which we love to see. Is 150th, by the way, worth oh. noting. Big occasion oh, wow. for him. Congratulations. Not, not, a bad, not a bad time to play your 150th. It's like having your birthday on Christmas Day as well. Yeah. <laughs> Good on him. <laughs> How are you, Fraser? Um, as, as much as I feel like... Um, Melbourne is a really good chance to win. I do feel like it's going to be close. I spoke about how um, I think Melbourne will start this game hot, but I think the Dogs will um, find a way to keep themselves in the game. And um, for mine, we've had our we've had our share of, um, I mean, Dom Sheed's goal. I mean, that's taken the quota for the, the clutch goals for the next probably 20 years out of the equation. So I'm thinking we'll get a, a really a massive mark um, to... Um, set the game alight. You spoke about 17, but for mine as a Swan supporter, um, 05 is the um, Leo Barry's the one I go to. Um, so I feel like if I was to put it in that um, context, who are the two best contested marks in these in these two teams? That's probably for mine, Gorn and Norton. So I'm thinking maybe 
I wouldn't be surprised if we're going right down to the wire in this one and I could see a Gorn drifting back um, into the back line. We've seen um, a tactic by Melbourne is that Gorn often picks up one of um, the opposition's best forwards. So I could definitely see him maybe um, maybe coming in on a one-on-one with, with a Norton or something and hopefully um, for the D's sake, um, Gorn can outmark him in the dying stages. Surely Gorn's used all his brilliance I used it all in the last game against Shalom. Surely he's got nothing left in the tank. If he has another great moment, oh. it's best of all time. Yeah, up there. It's a, good, it's a damn good final series. Put him in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, how about this for a great gone moment? For me, I think of one of the great chases, rundown tackles. I think round four, 2011, Carlton versus Essendon draw at the MCG, 79 points apiece. And I think with about a minute and a half to go or so, uh, with the Blues in front by a point, Jeffy Garlett taking a mark, uncontested with the closest bomber play about 30 metres away from him being Dustin Fletcher. And Garlett decides to play on and Fletcher, somehow he was like 55 by the time that game was played. And he somehow managed to run Jeffy Garlett down and the Bombers were able to tie the game. I'm thinking exactly the same thing. I'm thinking with about a minute or so to go, the Demons this time will be up by a couple of points. Cody Waitman takes an uncontested mark in the forward line, decides to go for goal, and out of nowhere, Big Mac Scorn comes and lays the game-saving, the premiership clinching, and the Norm Smith winning tackle, and the Demons clear it down the other end, and it'll be a goal to Cosby Pickett. Why not? that will deliver Melbourne their first piece of silverware that's not a preseason competition <laughs> trophy since 1964. And what a moment that will be. What you a really want to see Waitman get hit, don't you, Casper? <laughs> You're really banking on that happening, aren't you? You don't want to see him having his moment. No, look, honestly, I wish, I, I, I hope he has a good game, but I really hope that that tackle happens. And if it's not on Cody Waitman, then we'll stay on Caleb Daniel. Why not? Max Gorn tackling Caleb Daniel and somehow not taking his head off, which is often what happens when a really tall player tackles a really small player. I'm so excited for this game. I'm so excited for this game. While we were chatting, the AFL released the photo of Max Gorn and Marcus Bontempelli holding the Premiership Cup aloft with Perth in the background. And uh, oh, I feel like I feel like a little kid at Christmas time. I feel like a little kid at Christmas time. Goodness gracious me, but this time Christmas has been pushed back to like January 1st, January 2nd. I want Christmas. I want my presents. And I cannot wait for tomorrow morning to see what Santa has bought. Hopefully, it's a good game of football, whoever wins. Good luck, Liam, for the dogs. I hope that it's a good game. And uh, thank you, three, for joining me on this podcast episode. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on, as always. Pleasure, mate. Always fun talking about the granny. Thanks for having us, mate. Big day ahead. Big, well, big two days, I suppose. We're not quite there yet. Still a little over 24 <laughs> hours. Big, big 36 hours to come, shall we say. Yeah, there Perfect. we go. Big 36 hours. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. I don't know when the next episode will be. It'll probably be discussing the draft and maybe the fixture release for next year. But whenever it will be, I'll see you then. Bye-bye. Okay, psych, we're back. Hold on, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot a couple of things. First off, we're going to give our final margin 
where how much each team is going to win by. Liam, I'll let you start off with this one. How much are the dogs going to win by? Um, I think I think all the pressure is on Melbourne to do well. Um, I, I agree with what uh, Fraser said. I think they'll come out the gates. They'll probably get the jump on them a bit like Collingwood did against West Coast back in uh, 2018. But I think the Bulldogs will slowly peg them back and uh, manage to maybe get a couple of late ones to win by 21 points. Just like in 2016. Fraser, how about you? How much is Melbourne going to win by? I spoke about, um, I feel like it's going to be a close game. So, um, and we spoke about our, our clutch moments. And I'm similar to you, Casper, thinking that Max Gorn might come up clutch right at the death. So I'm thinking Melbourne by about six points. It's going to be hopefully a cracking grand final and hopefully um, goes right till the end. How about you, Eli? Yeah, I'm, I'm tipping Melbourne by 10 points. I really couldn't care who wins as long as it's a cracking game as it's shaping up to be. Um, but ideally, yeah, I've got Melbourne by 10 points and a late goal coming after a very tense final few minutes. I think Melbourne just gets one late and uh, makes it a 10-point game, similar to Malchowski. Nice, nice. Uh, I'm going with about a seven or eight-point margin. Yeah, be around about that. It'll be a great game of football. Um, now, nighttime grand final, second year in a row on the east coast of Australia, that'll be a nighttime grand final. When it returns to the MCG, which will hopefully be in 2023 or 2022, excuse me, 2022. I meant 2022. <laughs> hopefully in 2022. Careful, Casper. You're very close to offending all of the local Victorians. Please, please we've had, another we've year. Had, we've had, we've had a bad week as it is. With you can't have it anywhere. And- you and all this going on. We don't want to honestly, offend Victorians anymore, Casper. Honestly, we're going to start running out of cities that we can host it in. It's got to be back <laughs> in Melbourne, surely. When it comes back to Melbourne in 2022, should it be a nighttime grand final? Fraser, what are you thinking? Nighttime grand final or should they go back to the afternoon or maybe twilight? This this year's, um, I mean, different about this year because we're all kind of locked down. At least um, we are being um mostly Melbournians and I'm in New South Wales. Um, so, but last year, last year when we weren't locked down, um, at least in my case, um, I kind of found like it, it's a long, it's a really long day. I mean, it, I, feel, it, I kind of feel bad because I'm not, I'm not looking at it from the perspective of um, especially the Western Australians who are obviously two hours behind the usual start time of um of 2.30, I can understand why they don't really like it. A 12.30 start doesn't really have a, have a great ring to it if you're a Western, Western Australian. But um, for Victorians, and it is ultimately a Victorian um, game, uh, as tough it is, as it is to say, although it is a national competition, um, it's, it's a long, it was a really long day last year. And the game finished at, I think it was after 11 o'clock last year. And I mean... I think it's a bit of an earlier start this year, so hopefully we'll be um, hopefully we done and dusted as far as the um, as far as the game at least before all the presentations and stuff that goes for that goes for another um, hour when you think about it. So hopefully we'll be done and dusted by it um, before eleven o'clock this year. But yeah, for mine, I'm hoping it returns to the day grand final. I've been to a been lucky enough to go to um, I think three grand finals, and there is nothing like the atmosphere of the day grand final. I mean, I've been to a, I went to the, um, the prelim, the twilight prelim between um, Richmond and Geelong when Richmond won their first flag. And that was, that was pretty amazing, but it still didn't have the same, um, the same kind of special um, atmosphere that the, the traditional time slot has. So um, in my case, fingers crossed, we returned to the, to the two thirty start. How about you, Eli? 
Yeah, day grand final. Um, I, I just can't see any dispute for it when it is back in Melbourne. Um, that is, but I think this year the biggest thing was the spectacle of Optus Stadium. I think they're going to show off their have their light show and all that, which I understand. But yeah, like Fraser was saying, it's a long day, a long day of anticipation. Um, and especially out of lockdown when you're able to. Um, if there's a night grand final here and we have no restrictions at all, you don't want to be drinking for most of the afternoon and be half cut by the time you get to the game and, and go to sleep <laughs> straight afterwards. So um, for me, watch, sink a few, watch the game, and then you have the night, uh, the night free as well. So um, yeah. I think for the nightlife in Melbourne, it uh, just makes sense. Yep. Fair. How about you, Liam? I mean... One of the greatest games I've ever been to was the 2011 prelim against Hawthorne for Collingwood. Um, with that was an awesome game, and I think nighttime games have a great atmosphere. You know, everyone's you know I, I don't know I, I do love games at night at the MCG. I think it's got a great great atmosphere about it. But I think grand final is the spectacle of you know of the year, and I think having to wait like the wait's just too long when it's you know after dinner time at least for us us in victoria um when it's a nighttime game so i think that the the afternoon slot is not just best for people who don't want to have to be waiting all day but it's also logical in terms of actually getting a lot of people there you know a lot of people have kids as well you got to keep that in mind if it's like a like like i think uh, i'm not sure if it was fraser or eli who said that last year's grand final went till after 11 o'clock like that's a lot of kids are well and truly looking at bedtime. Obviously, a lot of parents will probably let them stay up beyond that for that one big uh, day. But yeah, I think daytime slot is uh, it's, the, it's the tradition. It's it's the best for the AFL, in my opinion, on grand final day. With the pandemic, I get it, right? I get having the grand final last year in Brisbane and I get having it at night and I get having it at twilight in Perth. I get it, right? But once the pandemic quietens down and we can get back to some sense of pre-COVID normalcy with with the grand final and whatnot and it's back in Melbourne honestly if we still have it at night I don't see why I don't know why we would we might as well play it at 2 a.m on Wednesday in Abu Dhabi honestly right I'm a bit of a traditionalist and it should be a grand final it's called Grand Final Day for a reason. It's Grand Final Day. It's not called Grand Final Night. It's not called Grand Final Eve. Grand Final Eve is today because it's the day before Grand Final Day. If it, if it wasn't supposed to be in, in the day, they would have called it Grand Final Night or Grand Final Eve or Grand Final Evening or something. But no, it's Grand Final Day for a reason. Bring it back to daytime. Now, have I missed anything else? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think we're all right. You covered okay. all bases, mate. Well done. Okay, a couple of attempts, but we got there. We got there in the end. Okay. So, second take. Thank you guys for joining me. Good luck to Liam for tomorrow for the dogs. Thank you, gents, for joining me. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to the Through the Banner podcast. Blah, blah, blah. You've heard the outro already. Until then, sign up. <laughs>